0: today, as was said, please do keep that passage open. Um, we are uh, looking at this, this point in Jesus' ministry, but as we come, let me just pray for us one more time. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this moment. I thank you that you are good and faithful, that you've brought each one of us to this point, to this moment. So I pray that as we come to your Word, your living Word, would you give us eyes to see by your Spirit? Would we rejoice once again in your gospel? Would we be men, women, young people, children who would long for our lives to be lived for you and your name? That we would make much of you even in the face of all opposition and that we would know that it is so worth it. In your beautiful name, amen. As I said, please do uh, keep that passage open. But I just want to begin by sharing a few texts uh, from the Bible with you. Matthew 5:10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice! and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you Matthew 5:44 I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you Matthew 16:24 If anyone would come after me let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life would lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it 2 Corinthians 12:10 For the sake of Christ I am content with weakness insults hardships persecutions and calamities for when I am weak then I am strong 1 Peter 3:14 Even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake you will be blessed have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. 1 Peter 4.14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Acts 5.41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name happy Sunday. Are you ready for this? Are you prepared, prepared to step into what God has called you toward? Because if you know and love Him, if you truly know and love Him, this is what should be expected of us. If Christ is the most important thing in your life, if He is the one, and his word is what shapes you in how you live, if you are not merely just professing faith, but living out that faith, if you are longing for others to come to know him as Lord and Savior, praying for those non-Christians around you, seeking to share Jesus with them, then you need to know, brother, sister in Christ, persecution will come. It is not a question if, but when. In our text today, it is all about this fact. For those who belong to Jesus, that we would not be surprised. Our text is not about general suffering that we all can face in life, because we all do face that. The general brokenness we face. But rather it is specifically about the suffering that comes as a result of our faith. As a result of living out your faith with your colleagues or your course mates, with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors, with your teammates, with those in the local shop, the barista, whoever it might be in your life. This text is within the context of what is known as the upper room discourse. It is the last supper and Jesus has been with his disciples and Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry. He is heading towards the cross. He knows where he is going and Judas has already left to betray him. And Jesus is in in preparation mode here, realizing the moment they are in seeing and knowing His disciples before Him, desperate to help and encourage, to warn these men, these men He loves what is coming, to warn them that they need to expect what is going to happen, that when it does come, that they might be able to stand in the face of such opposition. That here in this moment, your Savior is wanting you to hear, to to realize that you are able to stand when persecution comes, if you hear his words. There's a sharp contrast that happens at the beginning of our passage between what Jesus has just said. Because if you glanced at the section before, you will see that Jesus has been speaking about abiding in him enjoying and abiding in him and how as his people as God's people the result of being people who abide in Jesus that we are a community shaped by his love that his love would be evident among us and as we get to verse 18 there is a there is a focus and a tone shift from this loving community to toward those who are not of this community Those who are not his people, but upon the world itself. Anyone who has not accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. And Jesus is not holding back. Jesus isn't soft in how he speaks about them. He is very pointed. Having just shared about the love that we ought to have as as brothers and sisters in Christ, he exposes the hate of the world. I expect if we thought about going to our non-Christian friends, maybe you have someone in your mind and you went around to them and you just said, by the way, you're such a hater. (laughs) I don't think they'd be very impressed with that. And yet Jesus is not treating lightly the truth of people who are outside of him. He is not being dramatic, but he's exposing the truth of their heart preparing His disciples, preparing us for what is true about those who do not submit to Jesus. Because I think at times we as Christians can maybe struggle to believe this to be true. We can look at our non-Christian friends and and they seem like such nice people, and, and that in part is true. They are in senses nice people, genuine people, but we need to realize their hearts are so far from God. Far from Jesus. Because there is no neutral position before Jesus. You either love Him and obey Him, or you hate Him and reject Him. To think there is some middle ground is not true, but for the believer, for us as brothers and sisters, Jesus is wanting us to remember, as we face hostility of the world around us, remember His suffering. Look with me at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It's so easy for us as people who speak about the cross, as we've just sung about the cross, as we pray about the cross to forget the cross. It's not that we intellectually forget it, but we become so familiar with it that we lose sight of what is truly happening. The weight of it doesn't actually land on us. And as Jesus is facing His final hours, facing being rejected, being beaten, being mocked, being nailed to that cross, He seeks to encourage His disciples And to encourage us. If you belong to me, if you are mine, then look how I am about to be treated. Look to my suffering. Because if this is true of me, then it will be true of you if you are mine. What I love about the Bible, what I love about our faith is that it's so real. That Jesus is not selling false promises. He's not trying to, you know, paint up the Christian life as if there is no hardship, no struggles. No, Jesus is a terrible PR guy. (laughs) He's, He's not a salesman. He is honest. He is open with us, completely real, exposing the truth that we should expect to experience this. What we will face when we live for Him as we have been called to. And yet our confidence in facing such persecution is in part found in his suffering, in seeing what he endured, reminded of his suffering. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That there is a sense in which when we face persecution, you should draw confidence from that. I'm not saying you enjoy it. That's kind of weird if you you would. You don't enjoy it. But the fact is that when you face persecution, you should recognize, wow, people are seeing me, hearing me in such a way because I am proclaiming Christ that they persecute me, that I am displaying him so evidently in my life that they persecute me. That that should draw confidence and encouragement in us, knowing that in that moment we are being united to our Savior. In that moment you are joining Christ Himself. This is not a little thing, this is a glorious thing, that we would be invited into this in our day, in our time. That you would be used by Him in such a way. The concern shouldn't be about whether we actually face persecution, but rather if we have not or do not face persecution. Because what is being clearly exposed is our allegiance, that if we loved the world, we would not face persecution. If we love what they love, then why would we... Be worrying about persecution. If the things of this world are more precious to us than Jesus, then we don't need to be concerned. But if Jesus truly is yours and you are his, if your allegiance is to him, you will face persecution. I'm not trying to say you need to search out for persecution. And I'm not saying that you are not living faithfully if you are currently not facing persecution. But what I think we all need to wonder and ask is if we are claiming Jesus, is my life truly displaying the one I belong to? Do I truly love Jesus more than the opinions of others? Do I truly love Jesus more than the reputation in my workplace? or in my school? Do I truly love Jesus more than the approval of my family? Do I love him more than my own security and well-being? Because if you do, though you are not maybe currently in this moment facing that persecution, you will. And when that moment comes, Jesus is saying, look to me. Be reminded of of me, that, that this is not new. I have been there. I have walked this road. Remember me and remember how I endured. To understand that in this moment, you are in fact living the faith you profess. That is often in these moments. It is often in those moments of suffering that you actually experience your faith more fully. It is often when we are stepping into these places that the work of the Spirit is genuine, that we experience His grace to be enough for us. This is what Jesus is encouraging His disciples in. Verse 26, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness. The ability for any of us, for these disciples, to be able to proclaim Christ is not just in them seeking, I just need to be courageous. I need to really try hard in this. But it is in their dependence on the Spirit. And that is true for us. It is in our dependence on the Spirit that is within us. The power of Him to help you to speak, to proclaim the gospel, to actually step in faith into those situations in which it might be risky, but by His help you can. The number of times I've found myself in that situation and and you see a situation before you, and you know that this is an opportunity. I can step in here and share Jesus. Or maybe I won't. Maybe I'll just ignore it, and I'll just let it go by. But the moments that, by God's grace, I have stepped in, praying in my head, Lord, help me. I don't know what to say. (laughs) Lord, give me the strength to speak here, to love this person before me. It is in that place, in those moments, I know how He has helped me, truly given me the grace needed for those moments, the ability to engage that person with the gospel. And that doesn't mean that they all come to faith. Obviously, that's not true. But it does know that it is in those moments we experience the joy and the privilege of what it means to be united to Him to join the privilege of what it means to be His people, seeking that others might come to Him, to know the goodness of Him. And I wonder if for some of us, part of the struggle at times that we can feel in our faith, and I experience this, is when we feel flat or, or numb toward the gospel, is that we're not actually living this life how we've been called in this way. That actually in everything we are called to do, in your work, in your family, in whatever situation it is, in picking up milk in the shop, it should be lived in, with the mindset of glorifying Him, of making much of Him, embracing what we've called to be, knowing that He is the one at work, To give us the words and the courage in order that we might proclaim Christ to those who do not know. Do you grasp, do you realize this is never optional for any of us as believers? If we know and love Jesus, this is how we have to live. To truly live the life that we have been invited into, following in the footsteps of our Savior. We cannot take the responsibility lightly. Each of us who claim Christ can only do so because someone proclaimed Him to you. Someone was courageous enough to share Him with you. They did not save us. Obviously, they didn't save us. That is a work of God. But they were used by God in a wonderful way in our lives. John Woodside at the age of 4 speaking on John 3:16 sharing about our need for Jesus God used that man in that moment to awaken in me a love for Jesus that in that moment to my young mind my young heart I realized I need Jesus he had the courage to speak and what Jesus is calling you and I toward is birthed out a life that is abiding in Him. Jesus, as I've stated, said before these verses, He has spoken clearly about our need to abide in Him. Because if we are not abiding in our Savior, if you are not taking seriously your need to be with Jesus, then why would you speak of Him? We speak of what we delight in. And the more we abide, the more we delight in knowing him for who he is, the more we will share of him. Today, Ireland plays in the Six Nations, right? I'm a passionate Irish rugby fan. If we win, I will let people know. (laughs) I will let them know that we won. And it is the same because I enjoy it, because I, I appreciate it, because I'm passionate about it. I love it. How much more should that be true of Jesus, knowing all he has done for us? Seeing him in his suffering, understanding what he has achieved, remembering who we follow, recognizing we are looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who, for, who Sorry, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We stand looking to Jesus, knowing and seeing his suffering, knowing and seeing what his suffering has produced, that we do not need to fear anything in this life. We do not need to worry about what people can do to us because our future is guaranteed joy. Joy, unspeakable, unthinkable. Joy that we cannot even begin to imagine. Joy that is not able to be taken from us. that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death. Allow your view of Jesus' suffering to enable you to stand in the face of persecution. Let Him reveal Himself to be sufficient for you, knowing and understanding He has the victory. He has defeated sin and death. Jesus moves from encouraging his disciples to remember his suffering, to remember his word. If you look at chapter 16, verse 1, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Verse 4, I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. A better way to understand verse 4 would be to read it as your hour. When your hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Because throughout this gospel, there has been reference to Jesus' hour. This section is is in fact beginning in chapter 13 with a reference to that. Jesus knew that His hour had come. His hour to suffer and die. To be glorified through His suffering, through His death. To complete the work He had begun. And now we find Jesus declaring to his disciples, remember these words when your hour comes. There is a real sense in which Jesus is looking in the faces of these men, those he loves. And he knows that the work he started, they will continue. That they will continue to proclaim and witness about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection empowered by the spirit and that the work is going to continue in those who would follow any who would claim jesus as lord and savior any who would seek to follow him you and i to deny ourselves and take up our cross because what jesus is wanting for them is to be prepared and encouraged that those suffering is round the corner persecution is a certainty for these men that when it comes they would not be shaken That when it comes, they wouldn't be perplexed, confused, disorientated. But rather they would remember these words. Of course this is happening. Of course this is what would happen. That is what he said would happen. If we are truly the disciples of Jesus Christ, if we are on the road toward life, the same road as our Saviour, then we should not expect a different experience. He tells us this in His Word. The one who endured the cross for our sake promises that this is the path. This is where we should find ourselves. It is so natural, so instinctive for us to believe in in moments where we face opposition. To believe that clearly Jesus is not in control. Clearly, Jesus is not for us, but here Jesus is saying, declaring to you and I, hear my words, know what I am saying. You are going to be persecuted, but I am with you. You are going to be persecuted, but I am delighting in you. You are going to be persecuted, but I am sustaining you. You are going to be persecuted, but I am in control. You're going to be persecuted, but I have the victory. In Acts 5:41, the reference that, one of the references I shared at the start, when these men finally get to that point, when their hour comes, when they are beaten for their faith, what is their response? Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. These men have been beaten, beaten, and they go away rejoicing. That they would be counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That they would be counted worthy to suffer because Jesus was so evidently at work in and through them. That is not a natural response. Brother, sister, we need to be ready. We need to be delighting in Jesus, finding Him to be so satisfying to us. We need to pray. Pray, Lord, help me that when my hour comes, may we be rejoicing in that day, knowing that I am following in the footsteps of my Savior, knowing that I am living the life that He has led me toward. What Jesus is reminding us of is that being able to rejoice is a work of the Spirit. It's a remembering of who He is, what He has said through His Word, knowing that His Word has power. Being men, women, young people, children who are constantly reminded who we are in light of who He is in His Word. That for us, instead of rejecting the faith, we rejoice all the more in the faith. Only the gospel by the Spirit has the power to do this, to cultivate this sort of response. Only the gospel, those who are delighting in the truth of the gospel, knowing God's Word, enables us to respond in such a way. Is your life being shaped by Him and His Word? Are you taking seriously what it means to abide in Him? His Word is living water. His Word is what brings us life. This is what will help us to stand. Knowing Him through His Word. Being found in Him on that day. Brother, sister, let us not neglect what is vital for us. Let us be men, women, young people, children of the book. That when suffering, when persecution would come, we would be able to bring to mind the truth of His Word. That that might be a comfort to us in those moments. Knowing that this is not strange or unusual, but this is exactly where we're supposed to be. Rejoicing in that day. Finally, Jesus calls His disciples to remember his spirit. Obviously, his spirit has been mentioned throughout this text, that this is a very Trinitarian text, and Jesus knows the heart of these men in this moment. Had they been listening to all he's been saying? This man they have grown to love dearly, speaking about leaving, going from them. This has brought confusion to them, sorrow to them. They're confused by what's going on. Their hearts are not, though, hidden from him. See, Jesus has perfect knowledge of them, and he's sensitive to them. We see that in verse 6. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus knows their struggle. They're, They're struggling to grasp what is taking place, struggling to have confidence in this moment. And as Jesus senses this, he wants them to understand, to realize his departure from them is for them. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Excuse me. There is a real danger in us as Christians that we sometimes can think, oh, surely there was a better way for God to do things. <laughs> now maybe you think, no, I, I don't think like that. Well, you're a better Christian than me. But to be honest, when we think about it, how many times have you maybe thought or, or said, oh, it would be so much easier if Jesus was here to believe in Him, if He was right here beside me, I, I would believe then. It would be so much easier if He was just face to or, face. Or something like, oh, of course the disciples have such faith. Of course they did. They saw Him. They talked with Him. They, they were with Him. They walked with Him. It was easy for them. And yet, what Jesus is saying here plainly to His disciples in this moment is, you believe, you think it's better for me to remain, but I know that it's not. I know what is going to be most beneficial for you and for those who would come after you. Brother, sister in Christ, we need to be sensitive to the Spirit, to not neglect the centrality of the work of the Spirit. This text has been filled with how important the Spirit is. The work is not secondary to Jesus, that His work is one of illumination, strengthening, enabling. If you know me, you will know, which many of you don't know me, I love God's Word. I love understanding it and seeking to rightly consider what it has to say. I find it difficult at times when when I'm in a situation where I hear someone say something and it's totally against What the Bible says it's like my whole being just I have to speak I have to say something so understand me I'm completely sold out in the importance of our minds being engaged of being people who think rightly but for all the knowledge we can have about God's Word for all the right thinking we can have about doctrine about holding a right theology it is worthless without the work of the Spirit It is worthless without him helping our knowledge, helping the truth we know, helping the correct doctrine we hold to not just be head knowledge, but heart knowledge. That the truth we hold should be felt. That good theology leads to our emotions being captured by God that our faith is not just about coming to an understanding to think rightly, how to be right, but our faith is also helping us how to feel rightly. And that only is possible through the Spirit. Because what Jesus is speaking about is about one of the most significant moments within redemptive history. What Jesus is alluding to is far more significant reality that will take place. No longer will God be dwelling with His people, but rather God will be in His people through the Spirit. That at Pentecost, in the book of Acts, the Spirit comes and dwells in the hearts of people, God's people, all who are redeemed. Do we appreciate, do we realize, because we need to, We need to remember that it is the spirit of the living God, the eternal God, the self-sufficient God, the infinite God, the immutable God, unchanging, the omnipotent God, all-powerful, the omniscient God, all-knowing, that dwells in you and I. That is crazy and glorious. That's so wonderful and effective is the work of Jesus that God does not just dwell with us, but in us as His people. Helping us. You are not lacking anything. God's work of redemption and His work of sanctification is exactly what we need. And it is because He never leaves us to our own devices. He is with us in and through the work of Christ, by the Spirit, He dwells in the life of every believer. We need to be sensitive to not just our physical reality, but our spiritual reality. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. There is more at stake in this world, more at work than what we physically see and experience. Everything around us is wanting us to become numb to this fact, to believe this world is just about the here and now, that this world is merely about our physical reality, to buy into the lie that says you just need more, more stuff, more experiences, more money, more success, more social media likes and follows. Let us not be fooled. We are called to be people who walk in step with the Spirit, to be people who have life in us, the life of Christ by His Spirit, to be people who are not merely coasting through our lives, but rather have our eyes upon what our life is truly about, making much of Christ Jesus, that the Spirit of God would grow in us an affection for Him, and in so doing so, we would be passionate about what He is passionate about. Because what we need to appreciate is the hope of people coming to saving faith, coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior is a work of the Spirit. Enabling them to not just see with physical eyes, but with eyes of faith. To truly see who Jesus is, to see who they are. Verse 8, when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. People are not able to come to Jesus without a conviction of their own depravity. The good news of Jesus is not good news without the realization of our other need. Why do I need a Savior if I'm already a good person? Why do I need a Savior if, if people think I'm, I'm just a good worker, a good friend, a good parent? It is the Spirit that enables us to realize the brokenness that we have in us, each one of us, to bring conviction of our rebellion against our Creator God, in order that we might rightly see, know, and experience the beauty and the glory of the gospel, And this is true for those we live among. When I think about our area, the community that we are planting into, at times it can feel overwhelming. Considering just even our street, around a hundred houses, and I would almost say pretty much all of them with zero clue of the gospel. Our estate, over 500 houses or as I go and walk toward the five-a-side I play with these local men, they have zero clue of the gospel, zero clue of their understanding of how desperately they are in need of Jesus. Wondering and thinking to myself, how, how will these people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? because they are so unaware. And what I need to remember it is Jesus himself who is calling people to himself. It is not in my power but in the power of the spirit that brings people from death to life in Christ. That it is the spirit that will give my neighbors or the men I play five aside with the eyes To see the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. But that doesn't mean that I am passive. We need to be people who are captured by Jesus. Captured by His beauty. Seeing that dead people coming to life is glorious. And that should grip us. To be sensitive to what the Spirit is already doing in the life of those around us. To realize that we may just be a means by which this person can come from death to life in Jesus. Because God has already been at work in them. God has not placed a different Christian in the lives of those who are around you. He has placed you. Knowing who you are. Knowing who they are. He has given you all you need in Christ Jesus. The question is whether we are willing. Are we really wanting to see God move in our day among those we know? Praying, oh Lord, bring them to yourself. Help me to be used by you in whatever way. Make me courageous. Let me see what is actually at stake. Their spiritual destiny We desperately need to be people who are sensitive to the Spirit's work. Because if we are not, what are we doing? What do we think Jesus is saying? He's going in order that we might be better served, not worse off. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. In all we do, Are we, brothers, sisters, people who are depending on the Spirit of God, who are seeking Him to help us, enable us, sustain us, direct us? Because the truth is, we will never stand without His work in us, resting upon that. But what happens when we embrace the life that we've been called to? Verse 14, he will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. See, any time in your life when when you just find yourself rejoicing and glorifying Jesus, when you're just driving along, I have moments where I'm driving along and I don't know why, but I just, oh, Jesus is great. That is a work of the Spirit when we're being enthralled by His beauty and being captured by all God has done, that is a result of the Spirit's work in us. And this is what we desperately long for, to know the goodness and the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That we long to be drawn and captured by Him. That is what we, our souls, long to have, to be satisfied in Him. To know the sweetness of being found in Him. To know that when we declare Him to be glorious, that it rises from within the depth of our being. To know that He is the most satisfying treasure we could ever have. These words of Jesus are here to help us to appreciate how we might stand. How we can stand. To know that nothing in this world has power over us. We belong to Him. We are eternally secure. Would we understand that this time, this moment, your life here on earth is but a time but a moment? That eternity awaits? That these things will pass away? Would we stand for Him? Let us be people who are captured by Christ, that we would not renounce our Savior, that we would never be ashamed of Him, but that we would gladly boast of the One who has brought us to life, life to the full, that we would know the fullness of the life that we have been brought into, that we only have a foretaste of that now. Because when we fail to embrace this call, We actually are cheating ourselves. Everything He invites us into, everything God wants for us as His people is for our good. That yes, we will have times of struggle, times of difficulty, times of opposition. Yes, that will happen. But we will know that it is so worth it. That joy unmeasurable, joy eternal awaits us. Brother, sister in Christ, all you need, all I need has been achieved and given to you by Christ Jesus himself. May our lives be lived for what matters. May our lives truly count. And when our hour comes, may we be ready to stand. Let me pray. Loving Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you are a good, gracious Father to us as your people. Loving Father, we do not know what is around the corner for any of us. We do not know what sort of hostility we may face in the coming years, months, days even. But I do pray for each of us that you would bring confidence to every soul that we would know that the living God dwells within us and that we would be men women children young people who who are prepared to stand for you knowing that it is so worth it would we be people who are captured by you and your gospel would we have hearts for the lost for those who are so far from you and who are in such desperate need of you would you awaken in us a passion that is fueled by you, a passion for those who are far from you, that we might see others come to delight in you. But would you encourage us and and give us courage that even when opposition comes, when persecution comes, that we would know that you are with us, you will sustain us, and that what awaits us is joy unmeasurable. Give us eyes to see, I pray. Help each of us. May you be honored and glorified in our lives, and may we make much of you. In your beautiful name I pray. Amen.